0: If you have a Bible, you can open to Ecclesiastes 12. Because we've been studying Ecclesiastes not only in this room, but also Jason with the college kids and Jake with the youth. I've tried to stay ahead of Wednesday nights in this study so that Jake and Jason can have an outline and prepare for what they want to share with the college kids and the youth kids uh, as they track along with us. When I took my notes out, Uh, This morning they were prepared uh, a little while ago, took them out and I thought here we are, the very last chapter in Ecclesiastes and it feels like we just started and that's kind of the point of Ecclesiastes. It's all going to go by quickly and so we've come to the very last chapter. A couple of disclaimers on the front end tonight before we jump in and talk about the first part of the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. The first is that As I studied for this section, the books and the commentaries that I've been working through had a lot of really good insights into this particular passage. And I learned in seminary from one of my favorite professors, if you steal someone's idea and you don't give credit, you're a thief. You're plagiarizing. But if you steal someone's idea and give credit, you're a scholar. And so I'm going to be a scholar tonight as best as I can. And I'm going to share a lot of quotes with you. And admittedly, uh, there was not space on the front and the back of your notes to include all of the quotes that I originally wanted to include. So some of these uh, quotes are going to be up on the screen and they're not necessarily in your notes. But uh, we'll talk about some important ideas tonight. The second disclaimer is this. There uh, is some stuff In Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 8, that as I look around this group, I wouldn't give this disclaimer to the college kids or the youth, but as I look around this group and I look at the the mean hair color in the room or lack of hair in the room, there's some stuff in here that um, don't take it personal, okay? Just don't take it personal. Uh, And don't shoot the messenger, because I didn't write this stuff. I'm just telling you what it says. And uh, we'll do our best to, to wade through. So, lots of quotes. We'll start with a quote from Derek Kidner. This is the very last sentence in his section on his commentary on Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 8. He says this, Death has not yet reached out to us. That's true, because you're reading the book, or you're reading the quote, or you're listening to me say it. Let it, that's death, rattle its chains at us, and stir us into action. You're not dead yet, but we want the reality of death to move us to action. And I think that's a great, simple summary of what we're going to talk about in Ecclesiastes 12. We're going to talk about death. We've talked about death a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to talk about how we're called to take action In response to the certainty of death, we've talked over and over and over again about living life backward, starting with the end, the reality that we're all going to die, and then moving back to the present and determining how we're going to live today. And the quote is honest, and Ecclesiastes 12 is honest. So here's the big idea. The people of God should remember their Creator in the days of their youth. When Mark Dawson came in tonight and he picked up his notes and he looked at the passage, he was here early to prepare and practice for the music, he asked me if I was going to ask him to go all the way back and remember the days of his youth. And I said, just stick with us. I think we'll be able to make sense of this passage. The people of God should remember their Creator in the days of their youth. So I just want you to start off thinking about remembering. How is it if you need to remember something important that you go about remembering? Some of you may just have a mind like a steel trap and you put something in and it's there until you need it. Some of you use your phone. I use my phone a lot and I type things in and I say, hey, I need you to give me a reminder. I need you to send me a message the day before. I need you to tell me this is coming up. And uh, I did that just this last month was something going on in the church. I had a reminder set for April 1st and it sent it to me and that way I was ready for this thing that was coming up. And uh, so maybe you use your phone. If you're old school, maybe you like notes, sticky notes, handwritten notes. Uh, My dad loves writing notes to himself and he writes out everything that he needs to do and he leaves himself a note and he leaves these notes all over the house. And so maybe you like to leave notes in that way. If you've ever ridden in the car with Corey Spear, in his car, not only are you lucky to be here tonight, you survived that ride, but it's possible that when you sat in his car, you looked up and his rear view mirror was at like a 45 degree angle. And if you ever ride with him, you say, what are you doing? He says, oh, that's my reminder. I got to go pick up dry cleaning later today. So when I see that mirror, 45 degree angle, it reminds me That I have something to do. So remembering is important. We know that remembering is important. We get frustrated when we can't remember things. Or when we realize after the fact. Hey I forgot something. I failed to remember something. If you've read the Bible. You know that remembering is really, really important. And God says to his people from the very beginning. There's certain things I want you to. To remember. And like a rearview mirror at 45 degrees or a message on your phone or a note you leave on your nightstand, God gives his people in the Bible things, ceremonies, rituals, visuals to help them remember. So you might think about Exodus chapter 12 when God's about to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. And the Passover is about to happen and he says to his people... Look, this is not a one-time thing. I want you to do this every year. And your kids are going to ask you, why are we doing this? Why are we eating a a different kind of meal? Why are we eating it in a different manner? Why are we doing this over and over and over again? And when your kids ask you why your rearview mirror is at 45 degrees, you're going to say, it's because God wants us to remember what He did when He saved us. Forty years after the first Passover... Moses is with the children of the Exodus generation. He's about to die and he's about to send them into the promised land. And in the book of Deuteronomy, he sits them down for a sermon. And basically what he says in that sermon, and you can look at it in Deuteronomy 8, is remember. Remember. Remember what God did for your parents in Egypt. And remember what God has done for you these 40 years providing for you in the wilderness. Remember. When Joshua leads the people into the promised land and they cross the Jordan River, they set up stones. Why do they set up the stones? Because Joshua wants the people to remember. Don't forget who God is and what He's done for us. And then you get to the book of Judges and everyone forgets everything. I mean, they don't remember anything. It's just straight in one ear, and write out the other ear, and you can look at Psalm 106. It's a haunting psalm. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's haunting. And it talks about God did this, God did this, God did this, and they forgot. They just forgot. They didn't remember him, and they didn't remember all the great things that he had done, and then God did this, and this, and this, even though they were sinful people, and they forgot. God saved His people. God provided for His people. They forgot. So that's the story of the Old Testament in large measure. Even in the New Testament, you think about Jesus sitting down with His disciples the night before He died and He changes the Passover into the Lord's Supper. And what does He say to them? Do this in remembrance. I want you to remember. I don't want you to forget. Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi. You can look this up on your own, Philippians 3.1. He says, for me to write the same thing to you, it's no trouble. It's good for you. I'll just keep writing the same things. You know what I'm about to say, but you need to hear it one more time anyways. Peter, in 2 Peter 1.2 says, I'm writing these things to stir you up by way of reminder, because I want you to remember who God is and what he's done for you. So remembering is important, and remembering is what we're talking about in Ecclesiastes 12. So take your Bible, let's read the first eight verses. This is the Word of God, Ecclesiastes 12, 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them And one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped Or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Start off with a, a quote from David Gibson. It says, it's no coincidence that the preacher tells young people to remember their, quote, creator in the days of their youth rather than simply telling them to remember God. Ecclesiastes wants those of us who are young enough to hear him to realize that the doctrine of creation is the wellspring of a life well lived. It orients us to truths about God and about ourselves which can have a radical impact on how we live in the world. So, A lot of what I'm going to say to you tonight is very simple repetition with emphasis in different points of this truth, but we'll start with this. The preacher calls us to remember our Creator. He doesn't just say, remember God, remember Yahweh, remember the Lord, remember Adonai, but he says, I want you to remember your Creator. And David Gibson's right, remembering that there is a Creator and we're not Him is an important piece of a life rightly lived and a life well lived. And I just make a very simple point that we could trace this out in a thousand directions, thinking about our culture today. Christian people read the Bible, and we have a worldview that says there is a creator, and that's a good thing. It's good that there's a creator, and we should listen to him, and we should see him as an authority. The world looks at the idea that there might be a creator who would have the audacity to tell us how to live and the world says, that doesn't sound good to us, that sounds like tyranny. We don't want that kind of control in our lives. I was reading a book this last week about uh, the book of Genesis and creation and a prominent atheist was quoted and he had two things to say. He said, number one... I don't believe there is a God. And number two, I hate him. The world does not want there to be a creator. We hear it as good news. Oh, there's a creator. He made us. He knows us. He loves us. He provides for us. He speaks to us. All of these things are good news to us, but to the world, it's bad news. The preacher calls us to remember our creator in the days of our youth. So what would this involve? Let me just give you a few suggestions to think about God being our creator. We ought to remember that God is self-existent and we are dependent. God is self-existent, we're dependent. God needs nothing. He's always been, he always will be. He needs nothing from us, he lacks nothing, but we are completely dependent on Him. Secondly, we want to remember that human beings are created in God's image. Every human being you ever encounter in your life is created in the image of God. Old life that we're talking about tonight bears the image of God. Young life and unborn life bears the image of God. Thirdly, remember that God created everything good. God's design is a good design. The world hates it, but it's good. When God designed male and female, he did a good job. When God invented marriage, a lifelong relationship between a man and a woman, he created a good thing. When God created work, he did a good job. The idea of work, working with your hands, working with your mind, it's a good thing. Lastly, remember that humanity is responsible for evil. We've already talked about this in Ecclesiastes, so we won't spend too much time here. But God created man upright, and in his heart, he has sought out many schemes. We've heard that stated in the book of Ecclesiastes. So, the preacher calls us to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. Next, you're going to like this one. The preacher calls us to remember our Creator in the days of our... Youth. And even if you're not in your youth, you need to fill it out. Youth. If you're not in that category, we'll circle back to you before we get done, I promise. Why should we remember our Creator in the days of our youth? I'll just give you two thoughts. We should remember our Creator in the days of our youth before it's too late. Before it's too late. Three times in the verses that we read in Ecclesiastes 12, to 8 after saying, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, He says, before, before, before. Before it's too late. Before your vain, hebel, smoke, mist, vapor of a life races by. Before you forget, remember in the days of your youth your youth before it's too late. Secondly, we should remember our Creator in the days of our youth to combat youthful passions. We won't spend a lot of time on that, but I think it's worth reflecting on. The book of Proverbs is a book written largely by a father to his son. And I don't know if you've ever gone through the book of Proverbs and sort of paid attention to the the topics that are addressed the most, but a father writing to his young son Most of what he talks about falls under the heading of greed, violence, sex, and what comes out of your mouth. Are those things that youth wrestle with in a unique way? They are. Youthful passions. Paul tells Timothy to flee youthful passions. So we remember our Creator in the days of our youth. Now, not all of us are in the days of our youth. Some of us are closer to that than others. Some of us are closer to... Jake, who preached this last week, talked about older men, older women, younger men, younger women. You're in that spectrum somewhere. So think with me about what Phil Riken says. He says, if it is hard for some of us to imagine what old age will be like. And some of you say, it's not that hard for me to imagine what old age is going to be like. I won't call your name, but some of you know. If it's hard for you to imagine, Ecclesiastes can help. Here the preacher gives us one of the most memorable passages in the Bible about the realities of our mortality. These verses also happen to comprise one of the most beautiful poems ever written about aging. I don't know that you've ever thought about a poem about aging being a beautiful thing. But as I've read this passage and thought about it, I agree uh, with Riken. I mentioned to you earlier... We're studying Ecclesiastes. College kids, career kids are studying Ecclesiastes over in this room. Youth are studying Ecclesiastes upstairs. One of the challenges in preparing these lessons and giving the outlines to Jason and Jake has been, I might present things a certain way to you, adults, and Jason might present them slightly different or use different illustrations with the college kids, and Jake might use Different illustrations with the youth. Some of the songs I've referenced to you on Wednesday nights in the course of this study would not land with the youth. You would mention the band or the lyric and it would be completely over their head. And likewise with the songs that Jake has used uh, with the youth. Um, This is a helpful section. It's helpful for this group. It's helpful for this group because... You know, many of you, not all of you, but many of you. Oh, let's be honest. I'm looking around the room. You're all my age or older. We all know on some level. I'm looking at you too, Lauren. You're in the same group. Don't shake your head. You all understand aging to some degree. And I'm going to tell you why this passage in the Bible is beautiful. It's beautiful because it's real. The Bible's honest with you. Bible doesn't pull punches. The Bible doesn't try to sugarcoat things. The Bible doesn't present a view of life on earth that you say, "Yeah, I don't know if that's right or not." It's just real. The stories in the Old Testament, the stories about the disciples, the things the New Testament churches struggled with—it's just real, honest stuff. And it ought to hit home. And when it hit home, hits home. You can step back and say, "I think this book knows what it's talking about." I think the author of this book knows what he's talking about when he speaks of these things. It's also helpful helpful for our college kids and our youth, and apparently also for Lauren, for people who don't understand aging, to have some insight into what's coming. If it's hard for you to understand, this section is going to help you. So, the preacher wants us to understand two things about aging and death. First of all, it's certainty, and secondly, the nature of it. The certainty... In the nature of aging and death. Now, we're going to go through Ecclesiastes 12, 2-8. We're going to break it down into a couple of sections. This is the part that I gave you the disclaimer. If some of these things feel a bit personal, don't take them personal. If you need to laugh a little bit because it hits a little too close to home, then you can laugh a little bit. And Ecclesiastes, in some sense, is asking us to laugh at ourselves But it's not asking us to be flippant about death or aging. So we'll try to walk the tightrope here. The preacher describes old age as evil days. Evil days. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, verse 1, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. So one of the themes we've seen in the book of Ecclesiastes is a contrast between good and evil. Good and evil. There's sections in the book where he just says, here's a good thing, here's an evil thing. And he sets them side by side for your consideration. And that wording, when we have come across it, we said, hey, this isn't the first book in the Bible. There's another book in the Bible that talked about good and evil. It's the book of Genesis. God said to his people, here's a good thing, there's an evil thing. You need to chase the good thing, you need to stay away from the evil thing. They didn't do a great job of that, and there's a consequence for Adam's sin. And one of the consequences for Adam's sin is the pain and the struggle of aging and eventually death. Verse 1 says, there are days coming where you will say, I have no pleasure in these days. I have no pleasure in these days. You remember the story in 2 Samuel 19. You can look it up. 2 Samuel 19. David has been in a conflict with his son Absalom. And David at times was kind of in dire straits. And one of the men who helped him was an 80-year-old man named Barzillai from Gilead. And he helped David and he provided him with food. And David was in a tight spot and Barzillai really came through and he was a good friend. He didn't have to be. He was a good friend to David. And when David sort of came through the conflict with Absalom, David said to Barzillai, who was in Gilead, I owe you. Why don't you come to Jerusalem with me? And you can just live a life of luxury in the palace. I'll take care of you. And if you've read the story and you remember it, it's an obscure story. Barzillai says, paraphrasing, I'm too old. He says, I can't even taste food anymore. And I can't even hear anything. I'm going to go to the palace. 80-year-old man, broken down body. I can't hear the music. I can't taste the food. And he says to David, if you want to do me a favor, take my son. But I'm not going. And it's essentially what the preacher says here. There are days coming in which you say, I have no pleasure in these days. So the preacher tells us, honestly, that there are, in a sense, evil days coming. Secondly, the preacher describes old age like a storm on the horizon. A storm on the horizon. Now, Odessa people laugh at this because you get your little weather app out in the spring, summer, and it says there's an 80% chance of rain in Odessa, and you watch this cloud coming from the West, or maybe from the southwest, and it gets about to Monaghan's, and what does that cloud do? Breaks into two, goes around Odessa, comes back around on the other side of Midland, and you think, what in the world is going on? Uh, Storm clouds on the horizon don't mean anything. I don't know about you, but it's curious that that happens in Odessa with rain clouds, but not dirt clouds. The dirt clouds come, and they don't ever break apart and go right around us, and then they just plow straight through. So maybe when you read this stuff about a storm's coming, you don't think so much about rain, but you think about a big wall of dirt coming, and you see it coming, right? You see it coming from the north, you see it coming from the west, or you see it coming from wherever, and you say, well, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. And the preacher says, aging and death is like that. You can see it out there. It's not here yet, but It's coming. Cleveland's Clearwater Revival. I see a bad moon rising. I see trouble on the way. Earthquakes, lightning, bad times. The preacher adds, old age. It's coming. Thirdly, the preacher describes old age like a dilapidated house. I'm sorry. He does. I'm just the messenger. A dilapidated house. So let's walk through these images. We read them. I just want you to hear what he's saying. This picks up in verse 3, 4, and 5. He talks about the keepers. The keepers. The keepers of the house tremble. He's talking about your arms and your hands. Had lunch with my wife today. We had Mexican food. The man sitting behind my wife and to the left... He looked very healthy, but as he picked up his enchilada, the keepers were not what they used to be. He talks in this passage about the strong men are bent. He's talking about our legs. Our legs. You may say, well, this is something that maybe happens when you're like Barzillai's age, 80. 80. Now, this is the kind of thing that when you're 40 and you go to your son's baseball practice, hypothetically, and some kids don't show up and they don't have enough people to fill the infield and in the your son's coach looks at you and says, would you play shortstop? And you think, of course I'll play shortstop. And every kid that hit, hits a ground ball to you. You wake up the next day and you say, there's something right here. Right here. That's not my back. It's not my backside. It's no man's land, but there's something there. And the preacher's talking about that. He says, The strong men are bent. He talks about the grinders cease. Why do they cease? Because they're few. What's he talking about? Your teeth. Your teeth. He says, The windows are dimmed. It's your eyes. No LASIK surgery in the preacher's day. No removing of issues on your eyes. No glasses. The windows are dimmed. He talks about the doors being closed. At home, why do you close a door? Usually to block out sound. You don't want to hear what's going on in the other room. So I think the idea when he talks about the doors being closed is you can't hear like you used to be able to hear. Uh, The sad irony is that the doors are closed and everything's dim. You can't hear the the singing and the laughing, but you can hear the little bird that wakes you up at 3 in the morning. That doesn't seem fair, but it's part of it, isn't it? He says uh, there is fear of what's high. Fear of what's high. Every now and then on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, I'll be up on the platform doing something and I'll step off this front And some of you will say, oh, don't step off of that front. And I'm still in the age where I can step off the front of that and it's fine. But some of you know that you're at the stage of life where you probably should use the steps down the side. So there's a fear of things that are high. He says the almond tree has bloomed. You Get on Google. Look up almond tree blooming. What color is it? It's white. What's he talking about? Your hair. Some of us wish that the almond tree would bloom. He says, There's a grasshopper. What do grasshoppers do? They hop. What's this grasshopper doing? He's just dragging himself along. He's shuffling. It's a shuffling grasshopper. He says, Desire fails. I think you understand what he's talking about. All of these are signs. Physical things that happen in your body that none of us, we, we nervously laugh at all of these. Isn't that kind of what we just did? We nervously laugh. Like it's kind of funny, it's kind of not funny, but we don't know what else to do with these things other than just to laugh at them. And the preacher's listing them out to say to you aging is going to happen and death is going to come. And it's probably going to come faster than you'd like it to come. And these things that happen to your physical body, you can complain about them and be bitter about them and whine about them. Or you can see them as God's grace to you that God is reminding you your time under the sun is going to run out. And I'm going to remind you of that. I want you to remember that. I thought about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. There's a story in Genesis chapter 48 about Jacob, one of the patriarchs. And he's gone through a lot in life. And he's at the point in Genesis 48 where he's uh, blessing his grandsons, Joseph's sons. And you can go back and read in Genesis 48. It talks about Jacob, who is old, being ill. And it said that he had to summon all of his strength just to sit up in bed. It was all he had just to sit up in bed. And it says that he's... He's talking along with Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh. And then all of a sudden, he just it's like his mind jumps. And he's over here talking about something that happened decades ago. Have you ever had that happen? With older adults that you're visiting with, they're talking in one direction. And then all of a sudden, they're over here talking about something else. And you think, how did your mind jump? Something happened there. And then when he gets done with that story, he looks at everyone who's sitting around him. And he says, who are you? Who are you again? He's confused. Says that his eyes are dimmed. He can't see. They're all signs. He's old. He's aging. His life is hebel. And these signs are reminding him of that. In 1994, former president of the United States Ronald Reagan published a letter uh, that he had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And he said, I now begin the journey that will lead me into the sunset of my life. There were things happening to him physically that told him, this is it. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not the next day, but this is it. This this is the thing that's going to take you home. There's a well-known atheist named Christopher Hitchens. Some of you maybe have heard of him. He's a very militant evangelistic atheist. He, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, throat cancer. And at one point, he lost the ability to speak before he lost his life. And this is a man who gave lectures and taught. He was a professor. He used his voice for a living. And he wrote an article in Vanity Fair, and he said, Losing my voice was like dying more than a little. And I knew the real thing was coming. Made me think about my granddad. I've shared with you uh, recently. He passed away at the end of last year. Towards the end of his life, uh, last period of his life, he had aphasia, which is you lose the ability to communicate. You can think, you just can't get anything out. And as our family talked about that and what it did to him and the effect on him, it was like you lost him twice. It's like somebody with Alzheimer's. You lose them once and then you lose them again. And so we we giggle, we laugh. I did the same thing that you did and I'm not scolding you for it or shaming you for it. You read through these things and you say, "Yep. Short stop. That'll get you right there. That's a reminder." Then you deal with some of these things in other contexts and there's no giggling about it, there's no laughing about it. It's just a reminder that aging is inevitable and death is coming. And you had better remember your Creator in the days of your youth before you run out of time. So he talks about all of these signs. Preacher describes death as the loss of something valuable. That's verse 6. He talks about a silver cord that snapped. And he talks about a, a golden bowl that's broken. And he talks about losing the tools that you might use to fetch water. Something that would sustain your life? And in all of those examples, he's acknowledging like, yes, all the stuff about the dilapidated house is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, even though it's honest. But the loss of life is the loss of something precious and the loss of something valuable. The preacher describes death as the result of the curse. This is verse 7 where he says, the dust returns to the earth. When you read that, you ought to think about the book of Genesis, chapter 3, where Adam and Eve have sinned against God, and God has put a curse on everything that they had dominion over. And God says to them, You were taken from the dust, and to the dust you'll return. It's the consequence of their sin, it's the curse. Last, the preacher describes old age and death as realities that are coming quickly. They're coming quickly. Verse 8 in chapter 12 sounds an awful lot lot like verse 2 in chapter 1, the very beginning of the book. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. He doesn't mean it's a waste. He doesn't mean it's meaningless. He doesn't mean it's without purpose or without value. It just means it's all going to last that long. Smoke, mist, vapor, breath, dust, grass. It's here and then it's gone. These realities are coming quickly. So, David Gibson says this, One day you will come undone. God's curse of creation in response to the fall means time will see you unmade. Maybe it will happen without the help of old age. could come sooner rather than later or may not begin to show for another 30 years. But the preacher of Ecclesiastes is taking you by the hand and he's gently asking you, Before that day comes, how then will you live? So, two thoughts of application. Whatever stage of life we find ourselves in, the preacher would have us remember our Creator. Do it now. Remember your Creator. If you're in your youth, do it in the days of your youth. If you're in the Cody Lion. Middle age, do it then. If you're in the dilapidated house that we just read about, do it then. Remember your creator. Jake Graves and I have had a lot of conversations over the last couple weeks. We've talked about Ecclesiastes, and we've talked about Titus. If you were here Sunday when Jake preached, he talked about Titus 2, and he talked about the older men with the younger men, and the older women with the younger women, and We talked about the difference in older and younger. We had conversation about that. And then we found ourselves talking about the book of Ecclesiastes and some of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes and how those two things relate to each other. And one of the things that we concluded is that how do you know you're in the younger phase? It's because the greatest temptation for you is to live your life in the future. To say... If I could just get out of middle school and get to high school, do you know how great it's going to be when I get to high school? Well, that doesn't pan out, does it? And then you think, if I could just get out of high school, if I could just get out of this town, if I could just go to college, if I could just get out of college, if I could just get married, if I could just have kids, if I could just get that first promotion. Younger people face this temptation to live in the future. And we've talked about this in the book of Ecclesiastes Older people face the temptation to live when? In the past. And Ecclesiastes just hits both sides of that. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and 7 says, Do not say that the former days were better. It's not from wisdom that you say this. And Ecclesiastes 5.20 specifically says, The man who is enjoying the life that God has given him, will not even think about, remember, the days of the past. Because he's not concerned about that. He's concerned about the gift of the present. So if you're in that older group, don't live in the past. And if you're in that younger group, Ecclesiastes 12 is saying, don't live in the future. Don't think, I'll get serious about God and church and religion and tithing and Bible study and prayer and all that stuff, Later. You've got to do it now. You've got to do it now. You got to do it now you can not live in the past. You can't live in the future. Whatever stage of life you're in, the preacher would have us to remember our creator. Thinking about what he says in uh, 12.1, you think about George Bernard Shaw who said, youth is wasted on the young. So if you're young, don't wait. And if you're middle-aged, don't wait. And if you're Older age, don't wait. Remember your Creator. Sidney Greedness, I've quoted him a lot in this study. What does it mean to remember your Creator? He says, to remember your Creator is more than to recall that there is a Creator. It's more also than to think about Him from time to time. To remember your Creator means to bring to mind daily what your Creator has done for you. And to act on this knowledge. To remember your creator is to make God central in your life. And to focus your life on doing his will. That quote will bring us to the end of Ecclesiastes we'll talk about next week. One last thought. Remember that your hope is not in your ability to remember God. But in God's faithfulness to remember his promises and his people. We read Psalm 103 together earlier tonight. I would commend to you Psalm 106. I told you that it was haunting. Haunting in that God was good to His people and they forgot. And God was good and they forgot. But as you keep reading through the psalm, it's also hopeful. Not just haunting, but hopeful. Because God remembers His covenant. He remembers His people even when He disciplines them for forgetting He remembers them and He remembers His promises. So we'll end with a quote from Phil Rankin, and we'll pray. He says, there are many good reasons to remember God. Here's the best reason of all. Remember your Creator because He remembers you. God has an excellent memory. He will not forget us. And because of this, on the last of all days, our bodies will be fully restored. Think about the house, the dilapidated house we just read about. Everything that crumbled and decayed will be made new. In effect, our old house will become a new house. And he quotes 2 Corinthians. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. All of which is more than enough reason to remember your creator, God, and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we stop tonight as your people. And we just ask that you would help us to remember. Help us to remember you, the creator. Lord, we pray specifically tonight for our middle schoolers and our high schoolers and our college kids. As they look at this passage. As they read this description of something that's hard for them to understand. And we pray that they, by your grace, would remember you in the days of their youth. And that that would shape their lives going forward. God, we pray for those of us in this room. Those of us. Who don't have any trouble imagining what some of these things might be like. Those of us who maybe have trouble remembering the days of our youth. And we pray that whatever stage of life we're in, we would be people who remember you. Father, we thank you for the hope we have in the Lord Jesus. That though this earthly tent is wasting away, you have prepared for us a heavenly body, a heavenly building, a new body, resurrection body. We are grateful for the hope of the resurrection, and we're thankful that you remember. You don't forget your people. You don't forget your promises. You are faithful, and we rest in that. Father, be honored as we sing on our way out. Be honored in our lives this week. Help us to remember. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.